In Hebrews chapter 1, continuing on in the series, Let Us Draw Near. We are in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. This is the word of the Lord. As I said in our prayer time this morning, we began a series two weeks ago. And the goal of this series is that we would have properly rooted confidence in God. That it would be rooted in the right place. I was thinking even as I was worshiping, and this was a sweet morning for me to worship. But I remember 30-some years ago when I was a new believer, and I do think I was a believer. I do think I had passed from death to life in Christ. But it wasn't a pleasant experience. There were times I was so confused, I just said, God, I wish I could just start over. I grew up outside the church. I didn't know much about Christianity at all. Came to Christ, and I, I was so confused. And, and I prayed this morning that if, if there's somebody here who has a, a confidence rooted in the wrong place, that God wouldn't leave you there. And I remember the days when mine was such. Not fully in the wrong place, but not fully in the right place. I think I was a believer. But I remember those days of agony. I remember the agony of soul. So I don't pray that prayer lightly because I know what it was like. I know what it was like to agonize and, and to see my sin and God and know that I had trusted Christ. But I, I couldn't. I, I just didn't rest there. And... And I am so grateful for that time, though I hated it. And it lingered much longer than I would have wanted it to linger. In fact, I've told you, I've been here now some 35 years. It, it lingered even to my early days of being here. I, 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 I just sometimes, I didn't have that confidence where it needed to be. And I am so grateful that as I worship this morning, and I hear about a holy God, and I hear about being an enemy, and all of those kinds of things, that I know where to go. a properly rooted confidence, how to fight. It, it, was, it was one thing. I just didn't even know how to fight. I mean, there were, there were emotions and feelings would come over me and fear, stark terror at times. And, and I didn't know where to take it or where to go with it or what to do about it. And one of the things that God used in that agony of soul was to teach me how to fight. Teach me where to go. Teach me to get on solid ground and let my emotions catch up with the reality of what God's Word said. And that, that is my hope, that, that all of us know where that solid ground is. And the book of Hebrews is a wonderful book to help us to see it anew and afresh. And, and if we're putting weight in two different places, to get it all in one place, 
and to fight the fight of faith. Uh, last week, we, we dove into this book from beginning at verse 1. And uh, we made the statement, and you can get the tapes. They're there. It's on, online. You can listen if you miss. And I would encourage you to do that somewhat because we're just going to go on. We can't go back and repeat everything, so it would be helpful as you walk with us to, to catch up in those things. But we have a God who speaks. That, that was what we talked about last week. We, we don't have to make it up. We don't have to make up our God. I, I told you again of my early childhood. This was young. This was way before um, before I'd come to Christ. This was back when I was really a, literally a pagan. We, we had n- no attachment really to a church for any intents and purposes. And, and I was really pagan. And I just had to make up my God. And the God that I made up, as I told you, was a God, was a theology. I took it, I, I borrowed it from my father who said, when a baby is is born, it's better, but they don't like to be born. They cry. So I thought, well, I don't want to die, but it'll be better. And that was my theology. That was my theology. And and the wonderful thing is what I came to see in these years now as I follow Christ, I don't have to make it up. You don't have to make it up. You can have it rooted. You can have it rooted in a solid place. You don't have to just hope God is a certain way. You can know what God is like. Because he has revealed himself. That is a precious truth for Christians. He has spoken. And we walk through the progression of God speaking. He spoke in creation. What can be known about God can be clearly seen from what he has made, it says in Romans. But not everything. You, you can know there's a God. In fact, the Bible says you should. If you see the, the creation, it should take you to him. But you can't know everything about him. There's still mystery. You, you can't get all of your theology from creation. If you do, you'll get it wrong. So God also, we said, revealed himself in the Old Testament in the Shekinah glory. It was the glory that showed up when the temple was dedicated, when the tabernacle was dedicated, that special presence of God among the Hebrew people. That it, from time to time, the Bible talks about the glory of the Lord appeared. The Shekinah glory of God. God Revealed himself, though, though he said to Moses, you can't see me and live, you can see my hindquarter. As he put him in the rock and went by. So again, it, it, it was more, it was more than just creation, but it was still lacking. If that's all we had was God's creation and the Shekinah glory we read about in the Old Testament, but you know, if we didn't, it wouldn't be enough those, if all we had was those appearances. Now, the, the third step is the Old Testament. As I said, we, we read about that Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. God didn't stop there. There was mystery, mystery about God. That's why they were so hard to describe it. As I said last week, Ezekiel tried to describe it, and you couldn't even understand what I was saying last week as I read that book, as I read that chapter in Ezekiel, because Ezekiel couldn't understand it. He couldn't even put it in words that made sense, really. But then God continued to speak, and he spoke many times and in many places by the Old Testament prophets, the Old Te- what we know as the Old Testament now. He spoke again. He spoke again. The Bible says that um, in, in the verse there, it said, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken again. You see, it, it wasn't enough. The creation, the Shekinah glory, the Old Testament, it's not enough. If that's all you have, you had nothing else. If you could some way back up and, and never have heard the name of Jesus Christ, if that's all you had, 
you, you still wouldn't get it all right. It would be shrouded in mystery. Even though there's a progressive revelation of God, it's still a mystery to some degree. Less and less as you walk down that road, but, but still a mystery. Daniel, remember he said, how can I understand what I've just said? And that's really what the book of Hebrews is saying. It's saying God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but it was still mysteries. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. By His Son. You cannot understand God's revelation except you have the Son. All of that, creation, Shekinah, Old Testament, is about the Son. All of the promises of God find their yes in Him, Paul said. Without Him, unless you factor in the Son, you cannot rightly understand God speaking to us in all of those other ways. You must have the Son. The book of Hebrews is about how Christ is that missing link. How He's the the one who brings it all together. All of what God has spoken together in Christ. Devoid of Him, you have a revelation that's just not understandable. In fact, that's where the Jewish Hebrew people found themselves. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians. And it was written to Christians who were being tempted to turn their back on Christ and go back to Judaism. They were being tempted to go back to Judaism. It was, it was much more acceptable. There was less persecution if they would just go back. They were, they were beginning to have resistance and some pretty difficult resistance for, for, for bringing Christ into the revelation, into the picture. And, and to be honest, they were at the point and in danger of rejecting the Son. And if they reject the Son... They go backwards. If you don't have the Son, you can't understand the other. You can't go back. That's, that's really what, what the writer of Hebrews said. You can't go back. You can't go back. You're going backwards in Revelation. The Son. He has now spoken in the Son. And so all of Hebrews is about how He has spoken in the Son. How all of that revelation finds its yes in Christ. The first ten chapters of Hebrews. And that's, that's the journey we're going to be on. Now last week... And we didn't, we didn't deal with this text. If you, if you read on, there it says, He has spoken to us by the Son whom He appointed heir of all things. Just, just a sidelight here. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But we didn't deal with this, the part that says heir of all things through whom He created the world. That sentence, what's that mean? That He's heir of all things. The Son is heir. It means this. This is all you need to remember about that for right now is that He will make good on His promises. He's the heir. He owns it all. Not only can he make the promise, but he can deliver on the promise. Not only can he make the promise, but he has everything under him to bring it about. It's one thing to make a promise. We've all made promises that we intended to keep, but couldn't. We we got blocked somehow. God doesn't get blocked. He's the heir of all things. And we're going to see that more and more as we walk through book of Hebrews. In fact, today we're going to see much of that. He can make a promise that says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And they will because he makes good on his promise. 
He can make a promise that says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And he can fulfill it because he's the heir. And you could take every promise there is and say that same thing. Now, this morning, we want to see more of the promise. If that's the case, if he's the heir of all things and he can make good on the promise, we want to get the promises right, don't we? We want to hear them. We want to know them. These are promises to us who embrace the Son. So let's hear them. Let's, let's hear them here today. And we're just going to look at one verse this morning. Verse 3. Look at it with me and, and we're going to break it down. It says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Period. I'm going to stop there. Now, if, if you're an English buff, you like English, like grammar. I didn't tend to like it, but I have to, I have to know it in what I do. Um, and, and if you see this, it jumps out at you. There's, there's, there's one subject in this verse. One subject in this, this is really one clause. What I just read, this verse, verse 3, is one clause that has one subject and one verb. And everything else sheds light on that clause and that verb. So, we see it this morning. Um, It's this way. This is the way it's broken down. He is the subject. He, Jesus, is the subject. The verb is sat down at the right hand of majesty. Sat down is the verb. Now, there's four things that shed light on that. That clause and that verb. And they are this. He, the radiance of the glory of God. Look, it's in, the, it's in here. He, the radiance of the glory of God. He, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And He, after making purifications for sins... In all of that, you put that in the middle and then he sat down. He, the radiance of the glory of God, sat down. He, the exact imprint of his nature, sat down. He, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, sat down. He, after making purification of sin, sat down. That's my outline this morning. That's what we want to see this morning. What he says to us, the glorious truths that jump out at us in one clause of Scripture. Here the writer of the Hebrews says four absolutely stunning things about the Son. They are absolutely stunning and they just build on one another. Let's look. The first one. The first one, He, Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God sat down. Last week we defined glory. Again, that's why it's beneficial maybe to go back and to listen. But we defined it as, as glory being defined as the expression of His person. God's glory is the expression of who He is. It's, it's, uh, it's that expression. It's, it's like this. It's, glory to God is like wet, as we said, is to water. What heat is to fire and what brightness is to the sun. Statement says, and I, I like the third one the best because it says the sun is the radiance. Sun, you begin to see sun. He's the radiance of the glory of God. Listen to what one commentator says. Listen, listen closely. This is this is powerful. Listen to what he says. 
Jesus relates to God the way radiance relates to glory. Or the way the rays of sunlight relate to the sun. Keep in mind that every analogy between God and natural things is imperfect and will distort if you press it too far. But nevertheless, consider this. Number one, there is no time that the sun exists without the beams of radiance. In other words, sun and the beams, one can't exist without the other. They cannot be separated. The radiance is co-eternal with the glory. Christ is co-eternal with God the Father. Whenever the God the Father existed, so did God the Son, the radiance. You see that? Secondly, the radiance is the glory radiating out. It's not essentially different from the glory. Christ is God standing forth as separate, but not essentially different from the Father. One God, three persons. Trinity. Thus, number three, thus the radiance is eternally begotten. You've, you've seen verses like that in Scripture. Eternally begotten. That's kind of a hard concept to get your idea around. You, when you hear the word eternally begotten, you have a tendency to want to go and say, that means he must have been created. Not so. Thus the radiance is eternally begotten, as it were, by the glory not created or made. If you put a, this, is a, this is an example he writes here. If you put a solar calculator, or solar, solar activated calculator in the sunlight, what happens? Numbers appear on the face of that calculator. These, you could say, are created or made by what? The sun, right? Those numbers appear because the sun hits that little rectangle and numbers come up. So they're created by the sun. But they are not, they are not, this is key, they are not what the sun is. But the rays of the sun are an extension of the sun. So Christ is eternally begotten of the Father, but not made or created. In other words, he's he's, He's not the numbers. He's not a created thing. He, he, he radiates out. He is the sun. He is the sun. Essentially, the sun. Now here, this will this will help more. I think. We see the means. We see the sun by means of seeing the rays of the sun. In other words, if we go out, not today, obviously, but if we go out and the sun is blazing in a hot July afternoon, we see the sun. By seeing the rays of the sun. You, we'd all agree with that, wouldn't we? We see the rays. But you, you realize that those rays take eight seconds to get here, don't they? Eight seconds? I think that's right if you're a science person. Eight seconds for the rays to get here. So, so when you see the rays, you're seeing the sun. Yes. It's the same as the sun, but it is different from the sun. It's eight seconds away from the sun. You see, one, one, per, one God, three persons, co-equal. If you, see the, if you see the sun, you see the Father. If you see the Father, you see... They're different, they're distinct, two distinct persons, 
but the same. The same. Now, listen, listen to some texts of Scripture. You know, I hope you've been around long enough, that it's good to think. It's good to wrestle with those kinds of things, to try to see that. Listen to what the Scripture says. John 14, 9. Whoever has seen me, Jesus is speaking. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Whoever sees the Son, yes, sees the radiance of the Son, really, but they see the Son. You would say, I see the Son. It's the radiance of... You see the... Son, and you see the Father. You see that connection? Colossians 1.15 He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The exact representation, the way radiance represents glory. But, but you see what happens here. There needs to be a clarification. Look at verse 3. Now It says, He's the radiance of the glory of God. He doesn't stop. Why does He say something else? He almost says the same thing again. He says this. He's the exact imprint of His nature. Why does He do that? Why does He, why does he get repetitious there? Why isn't radiance of His glory enough? Um, possibly because... You can, you can get the wrong idea a little bit. You, sometimes when you, you see something, you say, I've seen something, but what you've seen is a, is a picture, maybe. You know, I could say, I, I saw Darwin. Well, I, I, I could be right. I mean, I, I maybe saw Darwin face to face, but I might have saw a picture of Darwin. And so I think the, the point here is he's, he, he's saying, Steve, it, you've seen You've seen the Father if you've seen me. That's, that's really what the author is saying here. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. There's no way to escape what those other texts are saying and they give light on what's said here. Listen to one other one, which, which goes with our existence statement. Listen to, to what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. It says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world... Not, not the God we're speaking of here, but the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing something. He keeps them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, which is the image of God. Not an image as a picture, but image as radiance. Exact representation. Same thing. Distinct. Eight seconds away, if you will, but the same. If you see Jesus, you see God. It goes on to say, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. The manifestation of God. And where do we see it most clearly? Where do we see it fully? Where is it the exact imprint? Where is it the radiance? In the face of the sun. Let me say it again. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
So, that God, that God, and you can't escape it. He's saying, you've, you've, you see God here, I am God, and God sat down. God sat down. He, God, sat down. But then it goes on to just continue to drive home the point that Jesus is God. It says this, He who upholds the universe by the word of His power. Again, an attribute of God. And, and He does. It's important for us to see this. He does. Stop for a minute and think. These four things. If just these four things were not being held together the way they're held together, what would happen? If the sun were any closer than it is right now, or any farther away, we'd either we'd either fry or we'd freeze to death. The sun, if it if it moved one way or the other. If the tilt of the earth was different than 23 degrees, the vapors of the ocean would so flow around it that we would, we would have ice everywhere. If the moon were different and were to move or were to shift, the tides which come in twice a day would flood the earth. And... This is this this is, comes home to us because of what happened in Russia not long ago. If the density of our atmosphere were thinner, we would be ducking for cover often. We would be bombarded by meteors that would continually bombard us. We couldn't walk out without fear of meteors. All of that, all of that held together. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Take it home. Feel your pulse. Feel your heartbeat. The only reason it continues to beat is because He upholds the universe and ordains that it continues to beat. He holds it all together. He's inescapable. He holds it all together. So three times here, the message is, God sat down. God sat down at the right hand of majesty. God the Son sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God the Father. It's, it's inescapable. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. You can't, you can't take it any other way. So He, the radiance of the glory of God, He, the exact imprint of His name, He who upholds the universe by the word of His power, He, God, sat down. But before He did, He did one more thing. And... It, it's, it's really the most stunning of all, at least from our perspective. It should be from our perspective, I think. I mean, what he's done, that he upholds the universe, should be stunning. All that's stunning. But the most stunning thing at all, of all for us, I think, should be number four. He, after making purification for sins, 
sat down. He, God. You've heard me say, you've heard me say it's true that God saves you from God. God the Son saves you from God the Father. Now, it isn't as though God the Father is unwilling in all of that and has to be coerced, but it is true. God the Son saves us from God the Father, and if God saves us, the Bible says, who can be against us? But, but, what's the setting down about? What does that have to do with it all? I want you to turn to another text, Hebrews chapter 10, and we're not going to fully unpack this text today because we'll come to it eventually, but it, it gives certainly commentary to what we've just talked about. Look at verse 12 of chapter 10. It says this, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Sound familiar? Waiting for from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. That, that have the connotation of reigning one day? being heir. And then it says, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, do the same thing with these two verses, these two, uh, uh, or this text, actually. There's actually three verses in it. I want you to, to, to get a subject and a clause again. And uh, it, it says this, um, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. He sat down. And and don't read the rest. Just just skim over the rest until you come to the word for in verse 14. For. I mean, he sat down for. All the rest of that's commentary. For by a single offering. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. For me, this is one of the most precious texts in all of the Scripture. It it is one of the clearest pictures of salvation for me in all of Scripture. It is what it means when it said purification, made purification for sins. And, And the result of that, by a single offering, which had to do with his shed blood and all of that, we'll talk about that as we go along, By that single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. We don't have time to fully unpack this verse, but it it is the whole idea of, of imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. In other words, first part, he has perfected for all time. What is that about? That's about anyone in Christ. It's about the fact that He provides us a righteousness by what He accomplished by His shed blood. And He gives us that righteousness. He imputes that to us. It's something outside of us that we couldn't accomplish that He gives to us. If you will, the picture that we've often used is He puts a robe of righteousness over us robe of righteousness so so that when we one day come from a, to a God who is holy 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 he sees that righteousness he sees the work of Christ on our behalf covering us and all that has to do with the shedding of blood and all that we've talked about 
He sees it. And God allows us to enter into His presence. But, as we're still here, as He places that righteousness over us, He's made us perfect forever. You see, that's confidence, folks. That's where I learned to look to texts like this. To what Christ has done. I didn't, I didn't have to anymore bring God down to be less than holy. only have one holy and not three. And I didn't have to overrate my own performance to see if I was somehow measuring up. I had to learn to look to texts like this that says, He has made perfect forever, for all time, those who are being made holy. Yes, the Holy Spirit enters into our life if this is us. And He begins to change us. He begins to impart righteousness. We begin to be more and more like Christ. But this is where our confidence lies. The confidence, in fact, to let Him do this and to go deep within our hearts and and carve out and cut out stuff in our lives and the sin that dwells there so deep in the recesses of our life. The confidence is that our assurance and our and our foundation is this. He's made perfect forever those who He is making holy or, or sanctifying. Folks, that's what it means when it says purification for sins. That's why He could set down because He had accomplished what the Father had sent Him to do. And what did the setting down mean? Well, it meant several things. Let me quickly share them and then we're going to pray. First, it meant a place of honor and a sign of honor. For Christ to set down meant it was a sign of honor to Him to set at the right hand of majesty. Secondly, it was a sign of authority. That he's heir one day, and one day, you know, the, the world is his footstool, and he'll inherit it. Sign of authority. But the most important thing today for us to hear is, I think, number three. You can't, you can't rest in number three if you haven't heard the first two. If he's not God, it doesn't matter. But he was God. He sat down because it was a sign of rest. It was a sign that what he set out to do was done. That those he saves are made perfect forever by his blood, by his righteousness. When the Old Testament priest, the high priest, once a year went into the Holy of Holies, he, he went in there with great elaborate preparation. He didn't take lightly going into the Holy of Holies. He knew if he deviated one iota from the script that it might mean his life and that he would be pulled out of the Holy of Holies because no one would dare to go in and get him. And after he had done all that he had done, he came out. But whether he died in there or he came out, there's one thing that he didn't do. He never sat down. There was no place to sit. And the symbolism of that is it had to keep being done. There was no rest 
It had to continually be offered again and again and again. Hebrews tells us that the son rested. He sat down because he'd accomplished it. He'd finished the work. Finished the work that the people couldn't finish. That you and I can't finish. And so the confidence we have, the place we need to look, is not to bring God down, not to try to make Him less holy than He is, and not to overrate our performance, but rather to look to the performance of the Son. Because He sat down at the right hand of majesty because He had finished the work. It was done. It was completed. This morning, is that where you rest? Is, is that where your confidence lies? When we sang the song, Still My Soul Be Still, what did you look to? What besides the words of the song came to your mind? Was it text like this one? Texts that say, He sat down for, He had made perfect forever those who were being made holy or those that were being sanctified. Or maybe other texts. But is it rooted in the finished work of Christ? Those days of agony for me were not knowing that I could look there. Were not knowing how to even fight when condemnation would come when I would hear those voices of condemnation I didn't know how to fight I I didn't know how to get on the right foundation Hebrews is about the right foundation about Christ and see the Jewish people were in danger of leaving it leaving that solidness And the truth is, there's no place else to go to get it. The answer is Christ. He who made purification for sin sat down. Stand and worship that God this morning. Oh
Savior and my King. Holy, 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 man hath fallen from thee through the of Christ thy Son, this soul can be redeemed. Justice, truth, and mercy join with love to crown thee, Savior of sinners. Savior and my King. Here's one more thing to take with you as you go this morning. As we went through that outline this morning, the first three points were about Jesus declaring, I'm God. One of the things that people said, we've said this early in the series, is that they sometimes say, I like the Old Testament God, but I don't like this New Testament. Or I mean, I, like, I don't like this Old Testament God, but I like the New Testament God. It's the same God. And, and what that's an attempt to do is to just take a couple of holies out. Because that's scary. It was meant to be. It's the same God. And in fact, if you do that, you'll, you'll lose confidence at the other end because you'll have an inept God. If you bring God off of his throne, then what, what hope do you have that this God is big enough to save you? It's not about bringing him down. You don't want to bring him down. You need a Savior who can really save. And it's not about raising us up. It's about the fact that he came. And he spoke. And he spoke. That he had made purification for sin. That him, you can look to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning. I, I remember days of struggle. I just pray this morning. If there's somebody in that boat today, that, that Lord, you'll help them. Help them not to, not to try to make you less than you are or themselves more. But they'll just look to your son. They'll see that that's the answer. He made purification. He did what was needed to be done. And I rest in him. Lord, I just pray you'll do your work among us here. And that maybe even... Now there's one who recognizes I'm an enemy. But I'm running to Christ. 
Lord, we just pray you'll continue to move among us and work among us. Strengthen us. Help us to build a sure foundation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you. Go in peace.